Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Surma Pod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. You can find us at thesurma.org. I'm Rich Lankov. I am the founder and CEO of Surma. And today we're discussing a um, really interesting topic, AI and how it affects musicians, songwriters, authors, and creators. We've got uh, Wallace Collins from the Wallace Collins Esquire Law from wallacecollins.com. Wallace, uh, welcome to the podcast. Wallace has been representing uh, artists, songwriters, record producers, music publishers, various others in the industry for over 25 years. Wallace, you're also a former uh, child recording artist, recording artist, which sounds amazing. And uh, as we just, yeah, and as we just talked about, you are uh, you were involved in a copyright infringement infringement case with the largest monetary judgment ever awarded for the use of a single sample in the Whoop, There It Is song, which we've talked about a little bit. So welcome to the podcast. So AI seems to be something in the news every day, right? Um, the, uh, the the wonders of it, the benefit of it, but also the the danger of AI, which is uh, growing in, uh, in notoriety. So tell us, first of all, sort of how AI will affect some of the people we talked about going forward, musicians, authors, uh, other creators in the entertainment space. Well, again, the AI was something, as, as you said, it's been popping up a lot lately and more and more and more so. So that's what kind of intrigued me a few months back to kind of look into it. And I, I talked to a couple, you know, I heard about the chat GPT and the kids at schools i heard about a friend of mine who said you're the kids at school are using this to write their essays and what does it mean and how's that going to work and you know i bet slash wish we had that when we were in school um kind of thing and so that intrigued me a little i had a I have a friend who used to work at google so i talked to him a little bit about it i know another tech guy who's kind of a current tech worker unrelated to me as a lawyer um, but I was just curious, like, wait a minute, does that mean this? And one of the, the tech guys said, yeah, you know, I made it write a song. I, 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 my dog died and I, I asked it to write a song and it was pretty good. Now, he's not a musical guy, so I don't know what that meant. I didn't hear it. But I'm like, what do you mean pretty good? He goes, well, you know, the lyric, the melody, it kind of came up. I told him I wanted a jazz solo. And so I kind of thought, well, that's weird. Like, wait a minute, you know, let me let me look into this. So I dug into it a little bit and. In simplest terms, what AI is, it, it's essentially a computer program, I guess, based that uses a database to inform itself. So in the beginning, programmers basically, I mean, think of it like scanning the internet. So again, and there are good uses for it. Obviously, the medical profession is greatly enhanced. Even a rookie doctor can, can do find things, you know, using AI, right? And then when they're doing medical procedures, the devices and the computers, I mean, I've read about that. It's very helpful. You don't have to know everything because everything is there, kind of like Googling the answer. You know, nowadays, right. you know, when you ask someone a question, they'll say to you, just Google it. I, I'm going to guess, but if you Google it, you'll get the right answer maybe, right? So, oh yeah, that's right. Why am I asking? You know, never ask a question, just go. So it, it can work 
helping doctors. It can maybe help you, you just when you're searching to find a car and you can get all the information you need or even a car like uh, a Tesla. You know, it, it, it informs itself. The self-driving cars, that's AI. It learns from its mistakes to get better at driving. And eventually, not yet, but soon, it will safely drive, right? Because it will have learned what you taught it and then it builds on that knowledge. In the creative area, that's a bit dangerous. And that's kind of what I got into in my article was, wait a minute, like, what if, you know, you know, if a songwriter, if, if, if a computer is writing a song, you know, is that, a, is that a copyright? Like, is it, you know, I mean, can you, and right. then what, and I mean, where's he, where's he getting the information from? He, <laughs> it, the AI is, yeah. Inherently. I mean, we just, you know, we, we covered a lot on our podcast so far in the last year or so. A lot of copyright infringement, lots of intellectual property issues when it comes to songwriters and other, uh, you know, artists and, and creators. And of course, you know, there's lots of allegations these days that one artist is copying from another. We understand that. We understand that if right. an artist is suing Taylor Swift because, you know, they allege that she stole a part of their song, then that's an easy to understand idea. That's been going on, by the way, for as long as there has right. been, for as long as there's been popular music. But let's say instead of Taylor Swift, it's an AI program. I mean, right. what are the implications there? What are the allegations there? And how do you prove that, you know, uh, the artificial Taylor Swift in our example is, in fact, stealing when the whole nature of artificial intelligence, as you've now eloquently pointed out, is stealing in some respects. Right. I mean, not to say, you know, maybe that's an inartful way to say it, but that's the dilemma. That's what your article uh, uh, very ably covers. And that's the problem. In other words, they've fed it. In order, so if if a particular AI program is going to write music, or create art, or whatever else, the programmer has fed in databases full of every pop song or every jazz song, whatever the genre is, and and delineates that too. Again, I, I've never done it, but from what I've read, this is what. It, so you're feeding in the history of all music, pop music, or rock music, or jazz music, to this computer, and then when someone says, "I want a jazz song," about my dog that died, right? And maybe he was brown and he was a poodle or whatever, right? Give us some specifics. And then this this program is going to sort through all the history of all the music and try to create what it thinks you want based on what you asked for. But its base of knowledge, and ironically, you point out, that isn't unlike a regular songwriter. How does a real musician learn? He learns by learning all the other music that's out there, and then he creates based on what he's inspired to do, I guess you might say. And a songwriter, right, he, you don't just start out writing a song if you never heard a song. You must have heard a lot of songs, right? And at some point, an emotion inspires you to write a song. But you're writing it based on at least formats or concepts that you learned as a human by hearing other songs. <laughs> However, hopefully, you're not willfully copying those other songs it's an inspiration to you but you digest it and come out with something different now the ai people argue well that's the same thing here we're digesting it and coming out with something different but no not really because you're not adding something new you're only able to do what you were programmed to do right so it would kind of be in effect an uninspired song because you uh, you know you just said oh here's a song by me and then you might hear it and go 
hey, that sounds like an old Beatles song. Wait a minute, right? Even from a human, and you'd nix that. You'd say, forget it, that, that's not fresh, that's not new. That's, you, you lifted that from somewhere else. With the AI, the problem is, how do you know what I mean? Like you said, how do you determine? Okay, it doesn't sound like anything I know that I can recognize, but somewhere out there, it must have taken from a database. In other words, because the difference between a human brain is it can take in the data and the information, but then there's an inspiration aspect to it. At least we humans tell ourselves that, right? So when Picasso's painting or when an author is writing, some of us do it in an inspired way and we others want to read it. The ones that don't do it very well, no one wants to read that book. No one wants to look at that art. No one wants to hear that music, right? So there is a the, the level of your inspiration and your craftsmanship lifts you as an artist in the creative arts. The, 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 this, the concern with AI is it's going to kind of it's, – it's been dictated to in a way. It's not really thinking. It's not really inspired. It's artificial intelligence because it's based on what it was fed and it can learn more you might say i want a jazz song and and then you'll say no no i want a more aggressive or a progressive jazz song or i want an old school or i want a jazz sax solo and then the ai will go and try to find more more music and feed it to next time give you a better thing of what you want so it learns better right it learns to correct the typos it learns to correct the the bum notes it learns to get better and better and better but at the end of the day is it really inventing anything or and again this i didn't mention this in my article but the thought comes to me you know an artist is creating something new it's like a deck of cards that he created with with its own markings all that ai can really do is take a deck of cards that exists shuffle it up and hand it back to you and go, here, here's another deck of cards. Well, it's just a deck of regular playing cards with aces and hearts, and, right? So you didn't really do anything. You just shuffled the deck of what already existed. Um, and again, that becomes the problem. Now, a more complicated issue becomes, what if somebody co-writes with AI? What if you're an author or you're a writer and you work with an AI program to create a song? In other words, you got a great verse and a chorus. I need a bridge. And you try to get the AI to give you the bridge. And you go, hey, that's pretty good. It, it works. Combined with my human inspiration and my actual musicality or authorship or art, graphic, whatever, you know, painting, drawing, you know, it helps me get there. It made it better. And that's not untrue. I mean, if you think about it, programming on a computer, a lot of music is programmed on a computer. Now, they may play the guitar into it and then loop it like an Ed Sheeran type of thing. They use a computer to loop the things they do. So they're doing it, but then the computer is altering it and repeating it, right? And they change it up and they speed it up and they slow it down on recordings. So in a weird kind of way, as a producer said to me after reading my article, to some extent, whatever you call it, a version of AI has been going on for a while. When producers, ever since they moved from analog to digital in the studio, there's a certain amount of manipulation. Again, and not to get off topic, but in the days of the Beatles, when they wanted to sound, John Lennon, I want to sound like the Maha Rishi or whatever on the top of a mountain, they had to like take buckets of water and put microphones and right, they had to do it themselves. Now, that's just a couple of buttons on a computer. You know, you find the right computer programs and you overlap them and you tweak them and you go, oh, there you go. See, we don't have to do all that nonsense. We can find the sound already in the computer. And that's a form of AI. 
but it's not the AI that generates it completely 100% by itself. It's still the producer or the musician or the writer telling it, help me with this. The yeah, problem you know, becomes when it does it all by itself, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting. And of course, it's, it's, really, it's really unique. AI is really unique. But it got me thinking, your article got me thinking about, you know, how ultimately, once we do see some litigation, which is inevitable, how the courts will view this. Because, you know, as you know, they're currently considering, the Supreme Court is currently considering the Sandy Warhol case. And right. whether that, you know, fits the definition of transformative art. They recently, you know, there was the Burke and Bag case recently involving, you know, these bags that were considered art. Um, I wonder if the argument on behalf of the, you know, AI content providers would be, well, this is transformative inherently, right? By its nature, AI is transformative. So, you know, we're not really using this art. We're using it way different than it was ever intended. That that would yeah. be the argument. I'm not sure how strong it is, but. I guess we'll see how the Andy Warhol case is decided partially. Right. That's a good that po that's a very good point because that transformative art again is a very gray, you know, it's not a black and white line. It's kind of a we'll know it when we see it type right. of standard. And uh yeah, I mean and, and that goes back a little bit to the Google case with the books way back when, when there was an ongoing lawsuit where Google was wanted a list claiming to list an index of books, but they also wanted to take text from those books. And ultimately, the way the court decided, hey, there's nothing wrong with it that for them to digitize the books in order to allow people to make references. That case basically allowed Google to do exactly what you said, to take all this stuff and say, we're not competing with the book. We're not selling books. We're just making the text available online, which at the time, yeah, it was different. Now, most of us read online. I mean, yes, I have a couple of books around that I read hard copy, but most of us read all of our stuff on the phone, on the computer. So the world changed and kind of caught up with what Google's did, but that case allowed them a lot of leeway. And that same kind of argument combined with, as you said, the transformative fair use argument could allow, you know, those to say, you know, if Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran or anyone else sued one of them. Now, what, you know, what that's going to be their defense is, hey, it's transformative. You know, it doesn't sound like the thing you say it sounds like. We don't sound like your song. You think you hear something of your song in it, but really, you know, not necessarily so. Um, now, the, on the upside, the Copyright Office has said they're not going to allow any AI program. They're not going to allow copyrights to be registered in the name of an AI program. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. It's a good signal. But it, that doesn't stop the problem of infringement because it would be me or you or Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift who owns the copyright. That's going to be suing them. We don't care if they registered a copyright or not. What we think is they stole our copyright. They infringed our copyright. So, you know, I mean, like I said, that's a helpful, whatever you want to call it, you know, threshold is that the Copyright Office won't accept anything that's strictly AI if they try to register it. But again, the, the problem is usually the reverse of that. It's the other people saying the AI I don't care if they registered the copyright or not. They're infringing my registered copyright with with the thing they say is new that's that's not. Um, but you're right. There, there already are some lawsuits going through the courts, but they're such in the early stages. Um, but I think between the Andy Warhol fair use, transformative use, you know, d divided by the Google book rights case, we're, the the road ahead is is bumpy. <laughs> 
That's a great point. <laughs> we'll conclude with, I mean, yeah, maybe, and Wallace, maybe we'll, uh, we'll see the first AI true lawsuit uh, litigated by that, that AI lawyer, right? There's the fir- world's first uh, robot lawyer we saw. Uh, who is litigating some uh, some uh, criminal cases? Oh yeah, the robots. <laughs> so maybe ah. none of us. There won't be the need for any of us in this issue. But uh, last question was: uh, You were a teenage recording artist on Epic Records. What what was your big hit? And where can we find it? Can we? Is there a YouTube oh. somewhere of a younger yeah. Wallace Allen singing your your bubblegum well, hit? Yeah. Well, here's well one one thing I wanted to say as far as the AI to finish. If those of us who remember um, 2001: A Space Odyssey. And not to be a spoiler alert, but the way that ends is the computer that's been taking them through space, Hal, eventually decides that he's going to take over the spaceship. We're not going back to Earth. We're just going to keep going or something. That I saw it when I was a teenager, but still. So speaking of teenager, yes, the song, the hit single, well, wasn't really a hit single, was called Rock and Roll President ironically enough. And uh, it is on YouTube. If you look it up, the name of the band at the time was Dynamiters. This was from the 70s. Like I said, I was a teenager. And it was called Rock and Roll Present. There's a YouTube video of the music. The, on, again, in those days, you know, people didn't have iPhone cameras. If someone wanted to videotape me, they had to bring a big honking machine with a tripod into the club, which didn't really happen. And even camera, there aren't even that many pictures unless we pose for them in a studio on stage because who was bringing cameras to a club or a gig, right? It, not like now. In those days, you just didn't do it. You went out to have a drink and listen to music. Nobody thought of that. So there aren't that many pictures, but but it is on YouTube. It's called Rock and Roll President. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a Chuck Berry on speed kind of, you know, rock and roll of the 70s. Interesting bit of history. We were on Epic Records. And the day our record came out, two other singles came out. So this will put it in, in history, and you'll see why I always say we were in good company. One of them was More Than a Feeling, the first Boston single. And the other one of the three was Play That Funky Music, White Boy, which also became a hit. And then there was Rock and Roll President. But, hey, we were in good company, right, back in October of 1976, I think it was. The good news is, Wallace, you could probably say that you and those fellow artists sold about 100 million records together. That's good. That's a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll work that into my story from now on. That's Wallace Collins, his excellent article on AI and the future uh, of intellectual property and entertainment law can be found at his website, wallacecollins.com. Wallace, thank you so much for joining us. And please come back and keep us posted on this interesting story on the Cinepod. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.